The story takes place in Central Africa of a man named Bishara, not his real name. He grew up in a wealthy, prominent family, and he had lots of money, and his father had lots of power. He was living with his uncle in another uh, country, in another city. He was working at an internet cafe. He met someone who talked to him about Jesus and shared Christ with him. And he was given a Bible to read, which was very risky. And previously, he had a Bible. And when his dad saw him reading his Bible, this was before he took a knife to him, and he cut his arteries, and he ended up in hospital for nine days. So this time, when he met this man and who shared Christ with him, he took that Bible and he hid it in his home. And he would read it at night. And in three weeks' time, he finished the whole New Testament. One night, he had a visitation from an angel who told him to get up and believe on Jesus, and he did. And one day when he was reading his Bible and praying, he was caught, and he was asked, are you a Christian? And he said, yes. And his uncle called his dad and told him what had happened, and his dad gave his uncle the order, go and kill him. So his uncle got his gun, put a silencer on it, took him outside of the house, and he put the gun to the back of his head and pulled the trigger twice. And Bishara was safe. He said he felt a cool hand of the Lord behind him, protecting him. He fell to the ground because of the impact of the gun. And he got up, and his uncle saw him get up again, and he fired again. And he was protected once again. When his uncle couldn't kill him, he kicked him out of the house. He burned all of his possessions. And Bishara there learned that sometimes God would protect him, and sometimes he would suffer loss. He said that although he was losing everything, he said it was better and he was at peace to choose Jesus in the midst of it all. That day, what looked like Bishara was actually losing, he was actually gaining. What looked like to everyone else and to his family that they were taking everything from him and burning his possessions and taking all of that away, Bishara was actually gaining because his strength, his faith was strengthened and he became even bolder to follow Christ. His family thought that this would turn him away from Jesus, but it actually propelled him further to follow Jesus. This is the paradox of Christianity. This is the paradox of faith, that where there is persecution, it leads even to genuine faith and following after Jesus. Coming from a wealthy family, Bishar was left with nothing. He didn't have a home or he didn't have food. Some international Christian workers were able to help him. And Bishara started to have Bible studies with different groups, and he started to share Christ with other people. And he took baptism publicly to declare his faith in Jesus, and people started to see that. He was hoping that his boss wouldn't find out that he was a Christian, but his boss found out that he was a Christian one day when his boss tried to get him to perform some other religious acts. 
So his boss called his uncle and told him what had happened. The uncle came again and beat Bishara and beat him again. He took his Bible, he ripped it apart. Bishara lost his job. He, the, his employer said, I'm not even going to give you the back pay that you're owed and lost his possessions. He took him, the uncle took him to a prison. He had some connections there and he put him in prison. And Bishara asked the Lord at that time, why is it so hard to follow Jesus? And God met him that night and comforted him and strengthened him and spoke to him, quote, don't be afraid, don't be upset. This was an angel that came and spoke to him. Don't be afraid, don't be upset. You did not lose anything. I will prepare things for you more than that. Your Lord Jesus suffered and had persecution more than yours. These are the words that Bashar said he, he heard there in prison. He had went through so much suffering, but he said, I'm not going to go back, but I'm going to only go forward. And the other people that were in that prison cell heard him talking in this vision that he was having, and they were freaked out because they could hear the whole conversation of what Bishara was saying. His uncle, after putting Bishara in prison, remember, he beat him. When he woke up the next morning, the uncle found himself, his body was swelling and he was bruised. The uncle. And he ended up in hospital after that. While he was in hospital, the uncle had a vision of an angel that came to him and rebuked him in hospital and said, stop persecuting Bishara, go and listen to him. And so what happened was he called Bishara to the hospital. When Bishara got to the hospital, he entered into the room and his uncle was there in, in, in bed and all of these military officers and police officers were there surrounding him because he was a very prominent man. And his uncle, in tears, asked Bishara to forgive him. And in tears, Bishara forgave him as well. This was the man that had taken everything from him, that had beaten him, that had thrown him into prison, that tried to kill him. But Bishara was able to forgive him. And he prayed for him. And his uncle wanted to know more. So Bishara, he's in that room there. He, his uncle asked Bishara to pray for healing. And so Bishara told everyone in the room, okay, we're going to pray. Close your eyes. And at the end, when I finish praying, say amen. These were all these people that didn't know anything about Jesus. And so Bishara started to pray, and he prayed for healing for his uncle. And at the end, he said amen. He gave his uncle a, a Bible and said, here, read this. Almost less than a week later, the uncle was completely healed. And the others in the room wanted to hear more about the Messiah. So he called Bishara back and said, can you tell us more? And in that same place where the uncle received healing, the uncle and nine other military officers and police officers received Jesus as their savior. Now others had been healed by this time. Bishara had been praying for other people. He was discipling 25 other people after this time, and he had only been a follower of Jesus for about four months. So no one can say, I don't know enough to serve the Lord. I don't know enough to teach other people. I don't know enough to disciple someone. Well, he was doing that with 25 other people. Within six months, that was 50 other people. And healings and miracles were taking place all over the place. And his mom was sick as well, and his mom had come to find out what was going on, and she called Bishara. She was in the hospital as well and said, can you come and pray for healing? And so Bishara went and visited his mom in the hospital, and Bishara, he started to read the Bible to his mom. And then eventually he gave her the Bible to read, and Bishara fell asleep, and he woke up to his mom crying and seated up in bed. And he couldn't believe that she was healed 
And she said as well, the, a cool hand came and touched her chest, and a voice spoke to her and said, be healed. And that very day, his sister, his mother, and his half-brother accepted Jesus. And others in the hospital wanted to know what was going on and wanted to hear about Jesus. See, friends, without suffering, there is no fruit. And without trials, there is no purified faith. And without brokenness, there is no healing. Bishara said he asked for three things. He said, number one, I want to contribute my life for you, Jesus. Number two, give me strength and encouragement. And number three, let the Holy Spirit descend upon me. And Bishara said God granted him those three things. Now, Bishara's dad was a high-ranking general. And he, he came to, to understand all of these things that were happening and Bishara's dad, he had killed many people. He even developed forms of torture for people. And he called Bishara and he said, I'm coming to your town and I'm going to come and kill you. But then later on, his dad called and his dad asked him to pray for him. And Bishara thought, hey, maybe there's a door opening here, but it was all a ruse. And finally, Bishara went and met his dad. And when he walked into that room where his dad was, his dad was seated there smoking a, a cigarette and a gun in his hand. And in the room behind him was his uncle, his mom, his sister, and his half-brother who had all accepted Jesus. And there were other armed guards that were there as well. And his dad told him, sit down, I'm going to kill you, but before I kill you, tell me why you accepted Jesus as your Savior. And Bishara thought he had this amazing opportunity to share Christ. And so he started to tell his story about what had happened to him, and then what had happened to his mom and to his sister and to his half-brother. And his dad looked at Bishara's mom, his wife, and said, is this true? And she said, yes, I have accepted Jesus as well. And he got so angry. And so he looked at Bishara's uncle and said, why didn't you kill him when I told you to kill him? And his uncle said, I tried. I shot him twice. Then I beat him and I threw him in prison. And I was the one that ended up bruised and sick. And then Jesus met me and healed me. And now I'm a follower of Jesus. And this got his dad even more upset. And so the dad pulled out the gun and he was ready to kill, take Bishara out and kill him. But at that time, Bishara's mom got so upset, she ran outside, got a stick or a club and came back and told her husband and said, you touch him, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to crack your skull. The guards that were standing there said, if you do that, we're going to shoot you. And they pulled out their guns. And then Bishar's uncle who was there, and he was a military guy as well, he pulled out his gun and said, if you do that, I'm going to kill everyone in the room. And so here's the situation. Dad with his gun in his hand pointed at Bishara. Mom with a club in her hand ready to beat Bishara's dad, her husband, over the head. Guards having guns pointed at the mother. The uncle had his gun pointed at, the, at, the, at Bishara's father. And Bishara held the Bible in his hands. Holding the Bible. I'm going to leave the story there for you. If you want to hear the rest of it, I want to encourage you to go to this uh, podcast. It's called Maverick. It tells the story way better than I've told it. There's eight episodes. It'll take you a couple hours to listen through. It goes into way more detail. It will move you. It will touch you. But if you don't want to, if you want to stay the same, don't listen to this. But if you want to be inspired and if you want your heart to be challenged, 
If you want to know what it is to follow Jesus in the most difficult situations, go and listen to this podcast. It's only eight episodes. You can hear the ending of what actually happens because that's not the end. There's so much more to this story. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the freedoms and liberties that we enjoy here in Canada. Lord, and we realize that our brothers and sisters around the world are suffering. And they're going through so much hardship just to follow you. And so we pray that you would open our eyes towards that. And we pray that you would speak to us. We pray, Lord, that you would make us passionate, devoted followers of Jesus, regardless of the cost. In Jesus' name, amen. We're going through this series of the seven churches, and today the church that we're studying is the church of Smyrna, and it's known as the persecuted church. Today's the national day of prayer for the persecuted church, and that's why we're, we're highlighting some of these things that are happening. And, and this church that was in Smyrna, just a little bit about history, it's, it was in a place in the modern day, it's Izmir. And during the days that, uh, of this church, they went through a lot of suffering during the reign of Domitian, which was one of the emperors of Rome. And they were systematically persecuting and murdering the Christians. And the emperor also declared himself to be God. And this letter hardly includes any criticisms towards this church because this church was actually a faithful church. Today, in Smyrna, there's about four million people in that city, but only a few hundreds of people are actually following Jesus. Now, one of the most famous martyrs of this city, his name is Polycarp, and perhaps um, all that was going on in this city and this church is really typified in this man, Polycarp. He, he was a, a man who faithfully followed Jesus. He was actually a disciple of John, the same John that wrote uh, the book of Revelation that we're going through right now, 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John. John, was, John trained Polycarp and sent Polycarp to this ancient city of Smyrna. And he was probably the bishop that was overseeing all the churches uh, in that area. And he was sentenced to death because he was unwilling to worship the Roman emperor Domitian who had declared himself to be Lord, God, and Savior. And so they brought Polycarp, the pastor, the, the bishop of this church, uh, they brought him to a place of execution, and they asked him if he wanted to renounce his faith and deny Jesus and spare his own life. And there, while they were preparing to burn him at the stakes, this is what Polycarp said, quote, for 86 years I have served Christ and he has done me no wrong. How can I blaspheme my king who saved me? The city remained in a place where, where Christianity flourished, where the people of God remained devout and steadfast in the face of suffering, following the example of Jesus and following the example of their pastor and leader and bishop, Polycarp. There was so much other emperor worship and other idols and temples in this, in this city as well. Uh, it was, they were actually one of the cities that was given permission to build a temple to, to, for Caesar. There was a strong allegiance to Rome, plus there was a large Jewish population that, was, that were persecuting and, and hostile towards Christians as well. And so it made it exceedingly and exceptionally difficult for Christians to stay faithful and live faithfully to the word of God in a place like this. 
And so this is the context of this letter, and it starts off with a, a revelation of Jesus. And the way Jesus reveals himself to this church is very significant because he says here in verse 8, to the message, uh, this is the message for the one who is first, from the one who is first and the last, who was dead but is now alive. See, the, the truth of resurrection is vitally important for this church. Jesus reveals himself as the first and the last, the one who was dead, but now is alive. So he is showing that he has power over death. He triumphs over death, that life is just not based on this part here that we live physically, but it extends into eternity as well. And so Jesus reveals himself as the one who is the conqueror of death. And if our hope is only in this life, Paul says we're, we're, we're miserable people. And if we don't have an understanding of the resurrection, then we won't have a hope. In 1 Corinthians, Paul says, and if there is no resurrection of the dead, then Christ has not been raised. And if Christ is not being raised, then your faith is useless and you are still guilty of your sins. See, the, the truth of resurrection is the crux of Christianity. It's the foundation on which the whole thing is built. And if there is no resurrection, the whole house of cards come falling down. And that's why we have to know and understand the power in resurrection, the power in the name of Jesus to raise people from the dead, that it's not impossible, that there's a supernatural God that lives beyond our time and restraints, that does things that we cannot even imagine, just like in the story of Bishara. Well, he is the first and the last. He is alive from the dead because he has power over death. And so Paul says in a couple of verses later, he says, it, and if our hope in Christ is only for this life, we are more to be pitied than anyone in the world. Friends, this is the, this is the issue here, is that if we live for Jesus only to be blessed in this world, only to have fame and fortune in this world, only to do well here in this world, here Paul says, we're to be pitied. Because life is so much more than what it is in this world. Because God gives us a hope that goes beyond the grave. This past week, I, I was doing a funeral, and we've had a number of people that have, uh, from our own church family, they're, they're, uh, one of their parents have passed away. And, and, as we, and as I attend some of these funerals, I always remember that God gives us a hope beyond the grave. That it's not just about this life, but there's something more. And that's what Paul says here, have a hope that goes beyond this life. And this revelation for this church was so important, because how could they suffer how could they face persecution? How could they be willing to go to the point of death if that was the end? But it wasn't the end. And it's not the end. And it shouldn't be the end for any of us if we commit our lives to Jesus and say, Jesus, please forgive me. Be my Lord and Savior. He gives us a hope of eternal life. The fact that Jesus rose again from the dead is the very foundation of the Christian faith. So many times we are so, so earthly focused. We're aiming for success in this life. We hope for a comfortable life in this world. Well, friends, this is a beautiful day to remember as we pray for the persecuted church and persecuted Christians because we realize that it's way more than just trying to have a comfortable life here. We'll look at that a little bit more next week as we look at the last church of Laodicea, which was a very affluent, comfortable church that thought they had everything, but they had to face a rude awakening from Jesus. If we're so earthly focused, aiming for the success in this life, then where is our hope? Now, there was a commendation that uh, Jesus gave to this church was that he knew their afflictions, he knew their poverty, he knew their trials. He said, I know about your suffering and your poverty, but he says, you're actually rich. 
Now, this church went through tribulation for the sake of the gospel. They went through persecution for the sake of the gospel. During the days of the early church, there was so much opposition to the gospel, a lot of persecution, even from Jewish people. Because that's why he says here uh, in verse 9, he says, I know the blasphemy of those opposing you. They say they are Jews, but they are not because their synagogue belongs to Satan. He saw that people weren't following the right way. But he was commending them because they went through suffering and they went through poverty for the sake of Jesus. And we must learn as well to endure in the midst of suffering. Now, our suffering and persecution might look a little bit different than what Bishara went through. Our hardships look a little bit different than that, but still, God calls us not to a comfortable life, and it will be a difficult life to follow Jesus. The Word of God says that if we live a godly life, we will face persecution. And so Paul says here, He says, not only so in the book of Romans, but we also glory in our sufferings because we know that suffering produces perseverance, perseverance, character, character, hope. And this is what happened with Bishara and happens to multiplied Christians around the world that face persecution and suffering and their faith grows and becomes strong and authentic and and vital uh, and, and alive. And sadly, so many times in our lives, because we don't face those sort of things, we get into a place of complacency and comfortability. We get into a place where we don't value our faith and are not willing to suffer for it or pay the price for it. Now, the other thing about this church is is that they were poor. They were very poor in the material realm. And if you remember some of the other churches that we talked about in this series, we talked about how they needed to mix with the world because of their profession. And sadly, by doing things according to their profession, it was also an act of worship. It was, it was a religious experience. It was a worship experience. So if they wanted livelihood, if they wanted to earn some money, part of it was a worship experience in worshiping idols. Well, this church stayed faithful to the Lord and didn't do that. And so probably because of that, they were materially poor because they weren't willing to compromise their faith just so that they could have a job and, because they, and for them to become materially rich. And Paul says something similar to that in the experiences that he went through. He said, we are poor, but we give spiritual riches to others. We own nothing, and yet we have everything. Well, here, this is a total different lens. Friends, I want us to look at the gospel and look at this whole situation through a different lens because a lot of the times we we look through this lens of the gospel of something of prosperity, something of blessing, something of just doing well. And here Paul says the total opposite here. He says, look, we're poor. We don't have anything to give materially, but we're rich because of the spiritual riches that Christ pours out. In a very antagonistic environment that the church of Smyrna was in, it would be difficult for a Christian to make a living. And thus, economically, they were pretty destitute. Maybe their desire to stay faithful to the Lord and not worship those idols led them to some material poverty, but it led them also to spiritual riches in Christ. And other churches we saw in this series, they compromised. Not Smyrna. Not the faithful ones at Smyrna. In James 2, James says this, he says, Listen to me, dear brothers and sisters. Hasn't God chosen the poor of this world to be rich in faith? Aren't they the ones who will inherit the kingdom he promised to those who love him? When Jesus came, he says, I'm coming to preach the gospel to the poor because they have a heart to receive it. 
And so many times we can get very comfortable with our lives. We can live in an affluent community like we do here in Markham. And we can, be, we can have this possession and that possession and this thing and that thing. And we become very complacent in our spiritual lives and not realize the, the devotion and passion that Jesus is looking for from us to follow him completely. And this is a paradox of God's kingdom. It's that the ones who suffer experience Jesus so intimately like we heard with Bishara. Oh, it's the ones that go through persecution and hardship and difficulty that have these experiences that see who Jesus is and feel his love and know his power. This is the stark contrast to the church that we're going to see next week, the church of Laodicea, who actually thought they had everything But Jesus told them, you're poor, wretched, miserable, blind, and naked. And this is the challenge of the church in the West. This is the challenge of the affluent church. That we tend to get complacent and lukewarm and comfortable and settled and secure in our own ways. And our brothers and sisters around the world are suffering for the name of Jesus. And experiencing Jesus and Christ in ways like we have no idea. And that's why it's good for us to have this global vision and a global understanding of what's happening in the world around us. But it's in the suffering and in the trials that we see, hear, know, and experience God. We would never know him as our healer if we were never sick. We would never know him as, our, uh, as the one that brings liberty if we were never in bondage. We, we would never know him as our savior if we weren't sinners. Oh, and to know him. Paul says, oh, I want to know Jesus. Oh, and the fellowship of his sufferings, being made conformable to his death, that I may attain unto the resurrection of the dead. C.S. Lewis said this, he said, God whispers to us in our pleasures, speaks in our consciences, but shouts in our pain. Oh, we, in those difficult times is when we can hear God speaking to us. He said, it is his megaphone to rouse a deaf world. Oh, are we people like that with, with, with deaf ears that are not hearing what God is saying? I challenge myself and I challenge our church today to listen to the Spirit, to listen to what the Lord is speaking to us, to rouse us from our complacency, to rouse us from our lukewarmness, to rouse us from our, our, our comfortable life that we have. And to see what's going on around the world and the persecution and the suffering and people that are following hard after Jesus, seeking the Lord with all of their heart. Now, there's a rebuke, if you can call it a rebuke. I don't even really want to call it a rebuke. But in Revelation 2 verse 10, it says, Don't be afraid of what you are about to suffer. The devil will throw some of you into prison to test you. You will suffer for 10 days, but if you remain faithful even when facing death... I will give you a crown of life. Now you're wondering, where is the rebuke in that? Well, I think at the beginning he says, don't be afraid. It's not really a rebuke, but an encouragement. Don't be afraid. How how can we combat fear? How can we stay faithful? Well, let me give you a few things. Number one, love. Such love has no fear because perfect love expels all fear. If we are afraid... It is for fear of punishment, and this shows that we have not fully experienced his perfect love. Let God's love fill our hearts. Bishara was overwhelmed with the love of God, and he was able to love God and love others. He was willing to meet his father, 
knowing that his father could kill him because he loved his father and wanted him to know Jesus as well. So he put his life on the line so that he could meet his father. He wanted to show that love. Number two, faith. There was a time when Jesus was in, was in, the, uh, in a boat and there was big waves and, and, and the, the rustle of the winds and, and the disciples were so scared that they were going to die. And so when Jesus woke up, he rebuked the winds and the waves and he said, silence, be still. Suddenly the wind stopped and there was a great calm. Then he asked them, why are you afraid? Do you still have no faith? And so having faith in God, believing in Jesus if you're here today and you're hearing some of these stories and wondering how in the world would somebody be willing to do that like Bashara did, well, let me tell you, it takes faith. It takes faith in Jesus. And, and if you've never experienced that love and faith that Jesus can give, our prayer team is going to be up here at the end of the service and we would love to pray with you. And if you're watching online, please connect with us. We would love to be able to pray with you and share with you what it is to be a follower of Jesus. Where is our faith in these days? Number three, the promises of God. Last week, uh, many of you texted in to that number that we gave, and many of you received promises from the Lord. I hope you took that promise and shared it with somebody else as well. But the promises of God are so powerful. When God spoke to Abraham in Genesis 15, it says, Sometime later, God spoke to Abraham in a vision and said to him, Do not be afraid, Abram, for I will protect you and your reward will be great. See, God told Abraham, Don't be afraid. Here's a promise. I'm going to protect you. I'm going to be with you. What is the good word of the Lord that he's spoken to us? What's the promise of God that he's given to us? Hold on to that and you can endure in times of trials and suffering. For Bashar, it was the same thing when he heard the word of the Lord. He was reading God's word and he would read God's word and hold on to his word. That's what helped him in his time of suffering and pain. Number four, prayer. It's so important to be able to pray in Psalm 34, it says, I prayed to the Lord and he answered me. He freed me from all my fears. In the times when you are afraid, in the times when you don't know what the next step is, pray. God longs for that intimacy in prayer. God longs to answer those prayers, to comfort you and strengthen you through prayer. And number five, trust in God's presence. When, when Bashar's uncle put a gun to his head and shot him twice, it was the cool hand of God that protected him. It was the presence of God that was with him. And in Psalm 23, it says, even when I walk through the darkest valley, I will not be afraid. Why? How can you walk through the darkest valley? How can you walk through the valley of the shadow of death? How can you walk through a difficult, uh, hard trial, suffering, persecution, difficulty? It's with this promise, for you are close beside me. Your rod and your staff protect and comfort me. I won't be afraid because you are with me. I won't be afraid because God's presence is there. I love these next two verses when it says in Psalm 53, here's one stage of being afraid. It says, but when I'm afraid, I will put my trust in you. I praise God for what he has promised. So in, in times of fear, what should we do? Trust the Lord. That, that's one stage. There's another stage that we can come to that we, we can trust and not be afraid. So here, when I'm afraid, I'm going to trust. But here in Isaiah 12, I will trust in him and not be 
afraid. The Lord God is my strength and my song. He has given me victory. Where are you today? Are you in the place of, okay, when I get fearful, I'm going to trust the Lord and have faith in him and have that love and faith and promises of God and prayer and God's presence with me? Or as God works in our life and grows our faith and helps us to follow him, we can come to the place where we can trust and not be afraid. I lived in Mexico for a number of years and pastored a church there. It was the murder capital of the world when I lived there. And now when I look back, I think, Daniel, well, you were crazy to live down there for all those years. One time I was carjacked and, uh, and, they, and they came and I don't know what they would have done to me, but the Lord, it's another story for another day that he miraculously saved me. And at the time, my heart was beating so fast, not knowing what these two guys are going to do to me. But then afterwards, it was like, okay, I'm still here. Now when I look back, I wonder to myself, why didn't I leave right then and there? But then I ended up staying for another five years. Not because of any good thing that I had, but I think it was the Lord who helped my faith. Because now when I look back at it, I think, why did I wait that long? But it was the Lord that helped. See, Paul as well, he said this. He knew that persecutions and sufferings went with him. And in Acts 20, he says, And now I am bound by the Spirit to go to Jerusalem. I don't know what awaits me except that the Holy Spirit tells me in city after city that jail and suffering lie ahead. But my life is worth nothing to me unless I use it for finishing the work assigned me by the Lord Jesus, the work of telling others the good news about the wonderful grace of God. See, we live in a culture and a time when these verses are not talked about. Because the verse that's better is... Paul, I'm going to be with you, and I'm going to protect you, and I'm going to bless you, and you're going to preach the word of God, and everything is going to go so well, and so many people are going to come to know me because of you, Paul. Wouldn't that be way better? But instead, what does it say? It says, Paul, you're going to go through sufferings that lie ahead. You're going to go to jail. You're going to go through persecutions. And Paul says, I'm ready. I'm willing for that. If only I could share the gospel of Jesus Christ. Friends, where is our commitment to Christ? Where is our dedication to the gospel of Jesus? Where is our passion for evangelism and sharing the good news of Jesus? Bishara, even though he knew he could die, he was discipling 25 people after just four months. And those numbers just started to increase and increase. And if you want to know the rest of the story, listen to the podcast. Look at what Paul is saying here. That's radical. Well, Christian faith is radical. Following Jesus is radical. And we have to understand, our brothers and sisters around the world, they are going through a difficult time. Now, the reward, the reward that was given here for the faithful ones was a crown of life. In James 1, verse 2, it says, God blesses those who patiently endure testing and temptation. Afterward, they will receive a crown of life that God has promised to those who love him. See, if we overcome our fear, if we overcome and stay faithful and go through the sufferings and go through the trials, then it says here as well in Revelation 2 that the second death won't have any power over us. Whoever is victorious will not be harmed by the second death. What is that second death? Well, and later on in Revelation, it talks about how that second death is the lake of fire, the final judgment. So if we are victorious and we overcome and stay faithful to the Lord, we don't have to worry about that judgment to come. Polycarp, when he was getting ready to be martyred, he said, 
How then can I blaspheme my king and savior? You threaten me with fire that burns for a season and after a little while is quenched, but you are ignorant of the fire of everlasting punishment that is prepared for the wicked. It's pretty bold. You're ready to kill him. Look how he's talking. See, we're not called to pass through to the second death because Jesus wants to redeem us and forgive us. Look at this verse in Romans chapter 8. These beautiful words here Paul says. Last week we talked about our identity in Christ and how we are children of God. For his spirit joins with our spirit to affirm that we are God's children. Are we good with that? Shall we end right there? I think we've got to keep reading, right? And since we are his children, we are his heirs. In fact, together with Christ, we are heirs of God's glory. Hey, this is sounding really good, right? Do you like that so far? You with me? Right? Last week as well, you, were you with me? We're children of God. We are, kings of the, uh, we are sons and daughters of the, of the great king. We're good, right? We should just end there. Yeah, we should, right? But it doesn't. But if we are to share his glory, we must also share in his sufferings. Yet what we suffer now is nothing compared to the glory that he will reveal in us later. Friends, if we were just to be given a glimpse, a vision into eternity, if God were to just open our eyes like he did to Elijah's servant in the days of old, and Elijah's servant saw the chariots of fire and the armies that were with Elijah and said, they that are with us is more than they that are against us. If God were to just open the veil of heaven and show us the eternal glory that is waiting for us, I guarantee you each and every one of us would just say, I am willing to suffer any Anything for Jesus. Because it is but a light affliction, it is but a momentary trial for us here in this earth that weighs for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. And so Paul says this, he realizes, Paul who's gone through so much suffering and pain and persecution and hardships and difficulties, he was beaten, he was, so, he was stoned, his life was, was, was in great peril so many different times, and he says, but if we are to share his glory, we must also share his suffering. Yet what we suffer now is nothing. It's zero in comparison to the glory that will be revealed to us later. The church was promised security even when life would be robbed from them. That security was not about this world, but it was about eternity with Jesus. How about us today? Can we follow Jesus despite the sufferings, despite the persecution, despite the trials that lie ahead of us? If we don't know Jesus as our Savior today, you might think all of this is craziness. And if you think it's all craziness, please come and talk to one of us afterwards. We'd love to speak to you a little bit more about Jesus and what it is to follow after the Lord. But here's my question, and I'll leave you with this. Are you ready to waste your life for Jesus? Or would we waste our life for something in this world? Don't waste your life for something that doesn't matter. But use your life in service for God. Use your life in service for his kingdom. Use your life to follow after Jesus passionately, wholeheartedly, 
with full devotion, knowing that this life is not the end, but there is an eternity to come. Oh, friends, let's live with purposeful intentionality and heartfelt desire to know and love Jesus all the days of our life. Don't waste your life today. Choose to follow Jesus. Decide today who you will serve. And say, I, de I decide to follow Jesus. No turning back. No turning back. Watch this video and then we'll sing to the Lord. There's a true story of a small village in India. And in this village, there was this family that came to a saving faith in Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord. This agitated the village so much and everybody became so upset that an angry mob gathered and shoved them into the public square. The village chief confronted them and he said to the man, if you and your family will not recant your faith, you all will surely die. The man didn't know what to say or what to do. And so the only thing that came to mind for him were the words of a song that he himself had composed when he had first surrendered his life to God. And so he began to sing, I have decided to follow Jesus. No turning back. No turning back. And with that, horrifically, his children were killed. I have decided to follow Jesus. I have decided to follow Jesus. I have decided to follow Jesus. No turning back. No turning he was given another chance this time with his wife's life on the line and yet he continued to sing though none go with me still I will follow no turning back no turning back though none go with me still I will follow After her tragic death, he was given one final opportunity, this time to save himself. And yet he continued to sing.
even though that man and his family died on that day, something remarkable happened. A seed was planted in the heart of that village chief, a seed that began to grow over time, and eventually he called the community together in that very same neighborhood, in that very same square, and he renounced his former faith and declared his allegiance to Jesus Christ. And a celebration broke out in that moment, and the gospel began to flourish and to grow in that community, not just in that village, but across the whole region, because they had seen real faith, and they knew the true character of God because of a family that believed and sacrificed even under the penalty of death.